good morning or good afternoon or good evening or whatever time of the day you may be listening to this podcast. My name is Josh McKibben. I am the regular evangelist here at the Lakeside Church of Christ, and I am pleased to get to introduce what I guess we might call uh, season two of the chapter chats, uh, and I am joined this go-around with a, uh, a different partner in crime. I've got my good brother, Jason Bridgman, from the Southside Church of Christ. Jason, welcome aboard. Appreciate you having me. We are excited to get to talk uh, in this particular go-around about um, what, what I think is probably a, a logical progression in our uh, chapter chats that we did last year that Kane Atkinson and I conducted. We were studying in the Gospel of Mark, and we're learning about the life of Christ, the things that Jesus taught and did and uh, said, and now it seems like a logical thing. Well, what was the effect of that? If Jesus is the cause, uh, then what was the effect of, of his work? And that brings us to this book that we know as the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And um, Jason and I have had opportunity to get to study in Acts together in other settings, and so uh, we just thought, hey, let's take some of the uh, things that we've been already talking about in those studies and let's put them in audio format and let's see if they might be uh, helpful to others. And as was the case when we studied in, in Mark, um, we want this to very much uh, be a, a template for folks to see that it is possible to just sit down with another person with a Bible and without coming into it with all kinds of uh, you know, superfluous knowledge or prepackaged material, uh, it's possible to sit down and study the Bible with someone, and Acts is a great place to study the Bible uh, with, with someone else, even someone who maybe doesn't even have a whole lot of uh, background in, uh, in, in, in what the Bible teaches. And um, Jason, I know that, that studying the Bible and initiating those kinds of things with other people, I know that's something that you're personally passionate about, and you, you want to see folks uh, make that more of a regular fixture in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times people just try to—they freak out because they don't—they've never done it before. They don't know what they're supposed to say. You know, what do I do with my hands? And they—they <laughs> they don't know where to go. Uh, but I think it's—it's it's simple. The Bible is—is is written in such a way that it's—it helps us. Uh, we can read it. We can understand it. And the Bible makes those promises to us. It's not something that's mysterious and yeah. you know, we have to be an insider to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it can flow. We can, we can overcomplicate things and, and, and we want to try to, to, to not do that. We want to try to keep things uh, simple. We'll, we'll try to provide you know insights, but literally right now, and I can say this in all honesty, Jason's got his Bible, I've got my Bible, we got nothing else open in front of us. Uh, let's just see what we can uh, glean from uh, a reading of, of God's Word here in the book of Acts. And so, as was the case uh, last year with the chapter chats, we're just going to try to tackle a chapter at a time. Some chapters are going to be longer than others. Acts chapter 1 is maybe one of, the, one of the shorter chapters, at least in comparison to the others. But there's 28 chapters in Acts. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Jason, I hope, you're, uh, I hope you're ready to come. I mean, that's going to bring us out to what, July, August at some point? I don't know. Uh, but our hope is to be consistent with this and to have this drop on a weekly basis, and we hope that it'll... Uh, benefit uh, you as much as I know it's going to benefit us. So let's just get to reading. Acts chapter 1, verse number um, 1, really kind of gives us the, the who, what, and when, and so forth of, of the book itself. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach 
until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, this is really helpful information um, because sometimes we read books of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, where we don't really know who specifically is intended to be the audience. Uh, we don't have a lot of clues as to who is the author. Um, and, and we don't get that information right up front. And we've got to kind of maybe look to extra biblical sources to get that information. Uh, we're really helped right here in these first couple verses because um, if you've read the Gospel of Luke, then you know that this seems to be part two. This is the sequel uh, to Luke's gospel. He begins that gospel with uh, an introduction to this person, Theophilus. We don't know anything about this guy, really other than just what is said here, a friend, a neighbor, a, uh, you know, an acquaintance, maybe someone that Luke was trying to teach and to convert uh, somewhere uh, along the way. Um, we know that my Bible's actually got a little paragraph above uh, above Acts chapter 1 that gives a little bit of historical information that this maybe was written sometime around uh, A.D. 62 to 64. Um, but this does seem to be the, the, the sequel to what Luke began in his gospel. And now this is, kind of I said earlier, the cause and the effect. Luke gave us the cause in, in the gospel of Luke, and now here's the fact uh, in Acts as he writes here to, uh, to Theophilus. Yeah, I, I think it's just really cool that we see um, you know, you think of this as a two-part series, yeah. and you have uh, Luke, who obviously cares about spreading the gospel and teaching people. You know, he, how much effort did he put into writing these two books, which put together make up about a quarter of the New Testament? Huge, yeah. And, uh, I mean, all that for one guy. You know, how much do we care about people to, to reach out, to, to, you know, teach them? Uh, what are we willing to go through? Are we willing to write two books yeah. you know, yeah. to, to help somebody there? So. It's really helpful that he did write this second volume because in, in some ways, especially if, if, if this was the only information that, that Theophilus had received, um, it maybe would have been a bit of a cliffhanger you know, mm -hmm. if all he got was, was volume one. You know, there would have been questions about, okay, that Jesus guy was pretty, pretty cool came and said a lot of great things, did a lot of great things, um, but now what, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, so that, that really makes this kind of essential uh, information. Um, really, the, the, the book of Acts is really important too because it gives information that really, even none of the Gospels really go into great detail about, like for example, how to become a Christian. Mm. I, I think we would get some of that information from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, but really Acts is where we're going to be able to put it all together. Um, maybe some of those questions that we have about uh, Gentiles, well, what about the Gentiles? You and I are Gentiles, as far as I, I know, I'm a Gentile. I am not Jewish. Okay, so, so you're a Gentile too. Um, th there's things that are alluded to about the Gentiles uh, in the Gospels, um, but we would still be left wondering, okay, well... Well, what about us? Mm. Well, Acts is going to answer those things. Uh, so all of those, for all those reasons and probably you know, a million others, uh, Acts is really a, a pivotal book in the Bible. In fact, you know, I'm going to make the case when we get to chapter 2 that Acts chapter 2 in many ways is kind of the, the centerpiece of, of the New Testament, if not much of all of Scripture, because so much of what the Bible's talking about points forward to it and everything else after that points backwards to it. Um, but this is such important stuff that we're given here uh, in this volume. I'm glad Luke, Luke took up the task to, to write it and to put, put the effort in.
Absolutely. I, I think we all benefit from that for sure. Um, one of the things that Axe is going to provide us maybe that, that maybe is different from especially all the other uh, books, the epistles that will follow, uh, is Axe is going to provide lots of examples. Mm. Um, you know, the, the epistles are going to contain lots of doctrine. You know, if you're reading Romans or uh, you know Ephesians and Galatians, there's lots of doctrine, lots of teaching. Um, and that's important. That's one of the ways in which God communicates His will to us is through commands. But uh, Acts is really heavy on examples, and, um, and not just any examples. We're going to get the examples of these guys that Luke make, makes mention of here in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 2, uh, these apostles, these ambassadors that Jesus had, had chosen carefully and selected that were going to end up carrying on His uh, his mission that he began um, during the gospel accounts. And so the actions of these guys, hence mm. the reason it's referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, um, their actions and their examples are really critical for us as, as Christians today, especially when we talk, start talking about things pertaining to the church, what's the church to do, the church to be. Uh, Acts is a huge piece of source material for us. Right, that, absolutely. And, you know, there, there's... Belief gets us so far, yeah. but it's, uh, you know, an active belief. And I think I, I'm glad that the, the name of the book is The Acts yes. and The Actions. And that's helpful. That's, yes, yeah, it us. is. And, and, and that's a, just the title of the book itself is really helpful for us just when we think about uh, what God wants from us when it comes to uh, and, and what real faith looks like. That real faith is active. There's actions that are going to accompany it. And... Um, and we will see that in spades throughout this book. Um, maybe, that's, maybe that's enough as far as introductory kinds of things uh, to say here. The first two verses uh, kind of get us going here. Um, there is mention, though, in verse 2, uh, I should say as well, uh, about, about the Holy Spirit. That's the first mention uh, of the Holy Spirit in this book, and it will not be the last. I heard one preacher once say that this book is titled The Acts of the Apostles, but it might also be titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is very active throughout uh, this book and especially here in these first couple chapters we're going to see uh, that the Spirit is, is, is working and is active in the lives of, of, of these guys. So take note, he's a, he's a huge character here. All right, duly noted. Verse 3, um, he, Jesus, he presented himself alive to these apostles after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, Jesus' story does not end entirely uh, when you get to the end of you know, John, if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, there's still this period of time that, that is not talked about in, in detail, but there is this 40-day period between his, his resurrection and what we're going to read about here in a second with his ascension um, that obviously was some pretty important time that he had with the apostles. Um, because it says there in verse 3 uh, that he spent that time talking to them about the kingdom of God. Mm. That was such a critical piece of Jesus' teaching throughout his ministry. And to be honest, the apostles didn't get it for much of that time. Um, but now here at a point in time when hopefully they do see more clearly, Jesus is going to help them to understand some things about, about that kingdom before 
before it officially uh, comes into existence uh, in, in the form that, that we know it as today. Yeah, that, I think so. We, we see the kingdom in, in effect, and there, there's a lot of good things we see about the kingdom throughout this, and I think it'll, it'll be helpful to look at that. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny, Luke has specifically picked what he wants to write in these books, obviously. He, he could have put in so many other details. Yeah. I really want to know what happened here in those 40 days. I know. You know that would be kind of cool. What kind of convincing proofs? Yeah. But, uh, you know, it just shows us you know, the nature of the Bible. We have what we need, and it's there for a reason. Yeah. I think that it, it's there for our learning. This is part of the re- I'm I'm hoping in heaven we're going to get heaven tube. Where, where at you know a moment's notice, if we ask the Lord about something that happened in the Bible, and Lord, can I see that with my own two eyes? He'll just be able to pull it up as quickly as we can a video on YouTube, and we'll get to see it. And maybe we'll get to see lots of deleted scenes, mm. like this right here. These forty days. Hey, what was that all about? And what was that like during that time? Um, so yeah, something to look forward to. Um, verse four. Uh, while staying with them. Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So uh, Jesus, of course, had, had already, he previously promised uh, the coming of, of the Spirit, uh, referred to him as the Comforter uh, on one occasion, uh, and that certainly speaks to one aspect of of, of the Spirit's work, um, but another part of it, obviously, is that He's going to be uh, guiding them uh, into the, the the next phase of of their work, and part of that meant for the apostles uh, they needed to just follow Jesus' directions here early on. Simple directions: stay right where you are, and you just stay here in Jerusalem. Um, we're really close, um, but just stay here, and you're going to receive. Uh, the next instructions. And this reminds me, this is a small thing, and maybe it's just a good little side point to make. Uh, when Jesus gives them the instructions to stay there in Jerusalem, that's a simple thing. That's a small thing. That's not, you know, some huge commandment. Um, but I, I'm reminded of what Jesus says uh, about being faithful in a little so that we can be faithful in much. You know, and so if these guys can't do something as simple as sit down and stay where I told you to, <laughs> you know, how can he begin to uh, expect them to carry out the, the bigger things which are fixing me on their plate. So uh, this is where it's going to start. Uh, stay right here. That means they're going to need to exercise some patience. You have to believe, especially after Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven, these guys probably during that intervening period uh, probably started to get, I know I would get antsy. Like, oh, for sure. When, when is this next thing going to happen? What's that going to look like? And uh, maybe some eager, you know, uh, antsiness, eager anticipation. Um, but Jesus wants them to wait there in Jerusalem, and there's a really important reason to wait in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is where uh, this has all been prophesied that these events are going to begin, and so I need you to stay parked right here. Mm. Yeah, I, I see this sort of as the uh, the disciples have training wheels right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're they're just like sort of an on the job training. I don't know if you've ever experienced, you know, you you're going to do a new job or something, and the boss is teaching you how to do it and working alongside you. But it, when they when they leave and it's just you, you know, what are you going to do? You know, yep. there's that that moment of a little panic and yep. oh, how can I keep doing this? You yep. know, what's what's going on? And so this would have been really comforting to yes. hear. You know, just go wait. 
I'll send the Holy Spirit. Jesus is he's, he's very much like a dad to these guys. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I've, I, I know what I've studied before, especially when I'm studying the Gospels, I, there's, a ver, there's a very brotherly relationship. Jesus is the older, wiser brother. He's trying to bring all these other guys along. Yeah. But uh, especially here and in lots of other places, uh, there is this fatherly feeling that I know he has toward them, you know, that he's... He's he's raised and nurtured these guys to bring them to this point, and um, and, and and I know Jesus probably has a, a, a degree of uh, maybe not anxiety is the right word, but uh, eagerness to see how they're how they're going to do, mm-hmm. and um, and they're going to do well. That's 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 one of the great things about uh, what we're going to read over the course of uh, these next several weeks. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Yeah, sorry. Uh, so verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Uh, let, let me just stop right there. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to bounce this off of you because mm-hmm. um, it's something I've been thinking about. Um, I have commonly said that here in verse 6, when the apostles ask the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I have commonly said and taught that this is, again, another one of those many instances where the apostles just, they just don't understand the nature of the kingdom. You read throughout Mark or, or any of the other gospel accounts, and anytime Jesus speaks about the kingdom, they get to thinking, in physical terms. They get to thinking in terms of uh, a governmental power, a political power, uh, you know, physical kings, physical thrones, physical castles and swords and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, And that is true on many occasions. I'm actually not convinced that this is one of those occasions. Um, And maybe the reason for that is simply because of just Jesus' response. If they were talking about a physical kingdom, if they still were under that mentality, then really Jesus' answer to them really just continues to support and prop them up in that wrong thinking. Hmm. You know, on all those previous occasions when they were thinking in physical terms, Jesus, you know, clamped down and shut it down. He didn't do that here. Instead, Jesus just simply says uh, to their question about, is this the time when there's going to be the kingdom being restored to Israel? He just says, eh, it's just not for you to know when that's going to be. Um, and I say all of that uh, because of, and yeah, I did look up a passage uh, in advance, <laughs> and, and I do have it queued up here. Uh, this is one of many that, that use this type of language. Uh, Isaiah 49 and verse 6. This is actually prophetic um, Old Testament. This is actually Bible language for them to use. I think we get thrown off by those words, restore and Israel, um, but this is actually Bible talk. Isaiah 49, verse 6, this is a prophecy. Uh, God, he's, he's speaking about his, his servant, Jesus, uh, the Messiah. And he says in verse 6, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nation so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Um, I really just think this is the apostles just using Bible language correctly now. Uh, I think they do get it. Uh, I think I, I, I think the resurrection probably helped them to see some things more clearly. I think probably during this 40-day period when Jesus has been schooling them about the kingdom of God, he probably helped correct any other remaining misunderstanding. Um, 
I think I, I think they're getting it now. Maybe not completely and entirely, but I do think they're past the phase of um, purely thinking in these carnal, physical kingdom sorts of terms. What do you think? You know, actually, I'm picking up what you're laying down here. We, uh, you know, you think about the the two disciples uh, on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus opened up their hearts, helped them to understand some of the things that were written about him. Right. And how they were saying their heart was burning and it was just such an amazing event. Well, these, the closest apostles to Jesus, had 40 days with him. Yeah. And it even said, like you mentioned in verse 3, about how speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, think that that they would have seen it differently than they would have previously yeah. so I, I think I'm on board with that yeah I, I, I Jesus response is, is is really what 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 hits the it's what drives it home for me that that, that I think he's um, well the fact that he doesn't rebuke them or, or or tell them hey you guys still don't get it I, actually if they still didn't get it, I think Jesus probably would have hung around a little while longer uh, until they did get it. Um, the, the only thing that he wants to address is their question about, you know, the time of, of the coming of this kingdom. Mm-hmm. And Jesus just says, I, I'm not going to tell you. You know, this is like in Matthew, what is it, 24, 25, or, uh, or I forget what it is in uh, Mark's count where, you know, Jesus talks about, uh, the coming of the Son of Man, you know, mm-hmm. that, that no man knows that except the Father. And it's, it's, it's not for human beings to know that information. Um, when God's ready, he'll, he'll know when it's time. Yeah. And that's kind of what I think Jesus is, is, is going to say here, that it's, it's just not for you to know uh, all of that information. God, God's got all that. He's been able to look down the stream of time and know when, when that's going to be. And, um, and it's going to happen. And that's the main thing that he just wants to know, that it is going to happen. And that's what he emphasizes in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this speaks to uh, something that we're going to see really kind of quite just neatly see play out. Like, I mean, literally like word for word, uh, the spread uh, of the gospel and the spread of the kingdom um, and the progression here. Jerusalem, specifically in that city, then in, let's expand the bubble a little bit, then into the greater part of of Judea and into that region. Then start looking even outside of that, Samaria, and then even to the ends of the earth, all these other locations uh, across the earth. Uh, It's going to need to see, it's going to be great to see that play out uh, exactly as Jesus said over the course of some of these middle chapters uh, in Acts. but that's the way that this whole thing is going to work. Um, and that's the way the gospel still works and spreads even today. Uh, I think too many times what happens is we get to thinking in these big term things. You know, we, we think about where Jesus says, go into all the world. Okay, yes. All of the world needs the gospel. Um, but where does that start? It starts right where you're at. Uh, it starts with affecting, you know, the, the corner of the globe where uh, where you are, um, and eventually it, it trickles out. And I think one of the neat things that we're going to see in Acts is that it's not so much that these apostles and these other disciples here that they really even set out to change the world. It's just what happened. It was just the natural consequence of people. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do what I can right where I right where I'm at with the ability that I've got. 
um, and with the time and the uh, you know the energies that God has given me. Uh, that's how that works, and the Lord ends up giving the increase, and before you know it, you've got the you've got the snowball, the ripple effect. Yeah, I think that you you nailed it right there. I mean, it's just we have a, a calling to do what we can right now with what we have, and yeah. that's that's always how it's been. Yep. You know, when we think in terms of, of trying to change the, the whole world at once or, you know, having these grandiose ideas of what we need to do, uh, we get overwhelmed. Yeah. And, and that's what we were talking about earlier. Why don't we evangelize to people? Because we think we have to teach the entire world. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, what about your neighbor? What about your coworker? What about the person you're next to? Yeah. Uh, we, and, uh, I mean, another thing on that, um, you know, the disciples were asking, is it time? Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? They, they were focused on something that wasn't affecting their daily work, what they needed yeah. to do right now. Yeah. And Jesus, as he always does, redirects into what's important. You know, I, I can't control this. I can't control times and seasons, whatever. But what I can control is what I'm doing right now with, with what God's gave me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, the other big piece there in verse 8 is um, that you're going to receive power when this Holy Spirit comes and, and falls upon you. And, um, and that's going to be critical as we, uh, end chapter, when we get to the end of chapter 1 and segue into to chapter 2. We'll just file that away for the moment. Verse 9, though, is this uh, amazing moment that um, I, I'd like to pull up on heaven tube one day. I'd like, hmm. I'd like to see what they saw. Uh, verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Um, it, it's kind of a bittersweet moment here. And, and, and really, Luke, uh, you know, this is all said in the span of, three little verses. Um, I don't know that it all maybe happened as quickly as I read it there. Um, I imagine, I don't know, I want to picture this in my mind's eye. I can't help but hear some swelling dramatic music playing in the background <laughs> and, uh, you know, a tear in the eye of some of these guys and it feels like kind of the, the closing of a chapter uh, and what's fixing to be the beginning of a new chapter. Um, Hallmark movie material. For it, sure. it is, uh, but, but but this is real life. That's the other thing that we need to keep in mind. I mean, this is this is extraordinary what we're reading. This is not, you know, this is this is miraculous. Uh, him ascending into the heavens in this way, um, but it's real. This really did happen, and um, the, the mention there, of course, of the two men in the white robes. We we would probably conclude that that probably is angels. Um, there's other mentions. You know, of men in white robes, and um, it, it seems that that's, that's talking about angels. And, and the information that they that, that they give is uh, well. There's, there's actually a couple layers to it. One about this, um, you know, why why do you stand looking into heaven? Um, I, I think some of that is kind of a nudge of like, hey, you, you guys got work to do. Hmm. It, it, didn't Jesus give you some directions? You can't stand here and just stare at the clouds all day long. You know, hey, don't you need to go get doing that? Um, there's that part of it. Uh, but then the second part of it is really significant that this Jesus that was taken up from you in the clouds, the promise that he's coming again. Uh, and that part of it, 
um, is still um, the part of this story that has yet to be written. Um, and that's the part of this story that probably interests me the most because it is very possible that you and I, and everybody listening to this, um, we could be included in that chapter because we could still be alive when that moment comes. And that always just enraptures my, my mind and my curiosity about the possibility of getting to be here on the earth when Jesus comes, when he returns, and you know, to look up to the sky and to see him coming with the clouds and the trumpet blast and all the other descriptions that the New Testament gives us later. Um, but right here is where it's uh, maybe, maybe to me one of the, the first and most poignant times when it's said, He's coming back. Mm. He's not coming back to set up a kingdom here on the earth, but he's coming back to take care of business once and for all. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really powerful. Uh, yeah. you, and you, you think about, um, but what if I'm so busy doing stuff, I don't see him? Or, or what if I miss it somehow? <laughs> or, or what if, I, if I'm not looking up at, at the exact right cloud at the exact right second, am, am I going to miss it? Uh, and I, I don't think we get that at all here. No, uh, no you, you get... In, in three verses, he says in five different ways that the disciples were looking. They saw this. This was real. This actually happened. You know, it wasn't some kind of uh, hallucination or they imagined it, but it was a real-life event. Um, and he says he's going to come back in the same way. Um, he's not, it's not going to be secret. It's yeah. not going to be uh, only for certain people, but it, it's going to be obvious. It, it's going to be Let's right just there. use the term that you're kind of dancing around. The, the, the term rapture is mm -hmm. used a lot in, um, in, in premillennial uh, kinds of discussions. Uh, and, and this is one of, and there's lots of other verses, but I, I think even just this verse alone would be more than enough to just dismantle the concept of of the rapture, because the whole idea of the rapture is that yes, Jesus is going to to come secretly and suddenly, and he's only going to take you know certain ones. Uh, you know, you've probably people have seen bumper stickers that says you know in the event of rapture, this car will be unmanned, and hmm. he's just going to snatch people just directly out of their boots, and um, you know we won't know it until until it's too late and they're already gone, and, and some people are going to miss it, and that was the whole impetus behind the the book series and even the movies that followed the Left Behind. Right. You know, I don't, I don't want to be left behind. I I, I don't, don't want to miss that. Uh, this verse says these angels said. As clearly as you people saw him go into the sky, that's as clearly as you're going to see him come back in the sky. Uh, and nobody's going to miss it. And there's a, there's a host of other New Testament passages that talk about, you know, every eye will see him. Uh, every knee will bow at that time. Uh, and so, so yeah, if, if, uh, if there's ever anyone that has ever, you know, had those entertain those thoughts about the rapture or other aspects of, uh, what is you know, referred to by as the concept of premillennialism, uh, this is a simple passage to help kind of break that down and shut that down pretty quickly. Uh, we're not going to miss it. And I'm glad we're not going to miss it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, verse 12, all right, so, so Jesus is now uh, officially, uh, at least from a physical standpoint, he is now um, gone. Uh, really from the, the pages of the rest of the New Testament. We'll see some, some other manifestations of Jesus, uh, even here in the book of Acts. Um, but, but as far as physically being present on the earth, um, that's it. So now it is. Now it's to the point where training wheels are off. Yeah. It's, it's the apostles uh, on their own now. Well, now what? 
Uh, well, one of the things is uh, something that um, Peter has in mind, and probably the others had in mind, but Peter's going to be the one to give voice to it, and that is the issue of uh, the 12th apostle no longer being in their midst. And let's read about that, verse 12. So they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, which is a Sabbath, Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Let's just stop right there. That mention of the upper room, the fact that Luke uses the word the upper room, it seems to indicate to me that this is probably referring to that same upper room where Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. Um, if I'm not mistaken, after um, Jesus had been raised from the dead, all the apostles were in an upper room, maybe this exact same place. They were all gathered together and Jesus makes an appearance to them there. Um, it, it seems like maybe this kind of serves as like a, you know, an unofficial headquarters, you know, or a, at least a place that they all just knew that they could convene and they knew they'd be safe. Um, and of course it meets the criteria of what Jesus wanted and that is for them to be in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. um, so this upper room, lots happen in that upper room. Again, I'm, I'm curious to know about that, that upper room. Um, and we're given the names, once again, of, of all the apostles that are still remaining. Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. This is, of course, the place where we get that awful joke about what kind of a car did the apostles drive? Hmm. They all drove a Honda because they were all in one accord. Of course. Of, of course. course, yeah. So if you've ever wondered where that came from, folks, it's Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Um, but what's more important is what they were doing in one accord. Uh, they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Um, so there's mention of just the women, uh, I'm going to take that to mean some of those kind of famous women that are mentioned in, uh, in the Gospels like um, uh, you know, Salome, um, uh, Mary Magdalene, right. uh, Joanna, those, those women. Uh, I think there's some others that maybe are, are named specifically. Uh, but those women who attended to Jesus and, 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 and provided for his needs in a, in, a, in, a, in a good way. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is singled out specifically. And then, probably most remarkably of all to me, at mm -hmm. the end of verse 14, is mention of Jesus' brothers. Yeah. And, you know, if you've ever taken note of all of the interactions that Jesus had with his with his earthly family, earthly relatives in the Gospels, it doesn't seem like they had a really great relationship, um, at least when it comes to spiritual things. They just weren't on the same page. Um, you know, there's occasions where they were, they were embarrassed of him, they were ashamed of him. Um, there's passages that say specifically they did not believe him or believe in him. Um, and now where are they? Now they're there. And I think, I think what Luke is suggesting here is that they do believe now. Mm -hmm. You know, they're counted amongst these other faithful men and women. These are, the, even they're now disciples. And of course, we know that uh, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, he, he'll end up becoming a, a really important figure uh, in the early, the early church. Um, actually, he's the one that we believe wrote the epistle of James. Um, and... Um, I don't know, I, I, I get, again, it's one of those little, little tidbits that makes me emotional 
to think about you know these these brothers who at one time scorned and really joined the crowds in in, in some respects in, in the treatment of Jesus and now here they worship him yeah. uh, as as he truly is as as the king yeah absolutely and they saw the evidence they saw everything Jesus went through and and they made the right choice yeah. it seems like you know when when they were around him Jesus would say you know who are my mother and my brothers those who do the will of my father yes and here we see they are part of that crowd too they're doing it um, and that that's such an amazing thing um, yeah. and, you know you just don't give up on people that's There's right that's right it it's great when um, <clears throat> when our family members and our loved ones are serving the Lord as well because now we get we get double blessing you know, now we get to love them not just as our flesh and blood family, but now we get to love them in a, in a whole new way, uh, with brotherly love, uh, sisterly love, uh, in the spiritual sense. And uh, uh, yeah, um, what Jesus had said, and I'm glad you brought up that passage about you know who are my mother and my, my brothers and my sisters. It's it's those who are doing the will of of the Father. And and now here, evidently at this point in time, uh, they are doing it. And um, and I'd like to think that probably somewhere in that 40-day period, maybe Jesus got to get to see that firsthand, I hope. Yeah. Um, how meaningful that would have been to him um, to, to, and to think about that. Um, and so in the midst of this, this group that we've got together here, we know we've got uh, 11 apostles. We've got these women, Mary. Uh, we've got the brothers, probably some, some others who are, are, are not specifically mentioned now. Verse 15, In those days, Peter stood up amongst the brothers, and the company of the persons was in all about 120. So we know we've got 120 total disciples here. Um, is it possible, somebody, I remember somebody asked me this question once, is it possible, that, I mean, was there only 120 people who were, who were faithful to Christ at this point? Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe there were others, and they just... They were still maybe kind of in hiding. Maybe they had scattered to, to other places and just had not, word had not got to them to be able to come back and to convene here, you know, at this safe place where the other 120 were. Uh, don't know, but this is the 120 that's going to be, kind of be the nucleus upon which everything else is going to be built. So what's Peter say, verse 16? He says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and he was allotted his share in this ministry. Um, let's just stop right there. Um, I appreciate that um, Peter, in the words that he uses here, uh, makes it clear Judas was, he was an apostle. Yeah. You know, uh, he did terrible things. Uh, he, he did wickedness. He's going to use the word wickedness in verse 18. Um, he was a guide to the ones who ended up arresting Jesus, but he was one of us, and he was allotted his share in this ministry. And I, I'm really bringing that up to kind of make a, a, a side point. Um, every now and then, and, and this is sometimes something that's said by folks who, who are hardcore Calvinists, mm. um, that... Um, when maybe a Christian falls away, when they leave the Lord, leave the church, um, 
the explanation is, well, well, they were never really a Christian in the first place. Yeah. Um, is it possible? It's possible that somebody maybe never was a Christian in the first place. They may have went through the motions of all that, you know, half-heartedly and deceitfully and, 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 and all that. That's, that is possible. But in many cases, though, I don't think that's true. Um, and, and, and this example here with what Peter says about Judas, I, I think is kind of parallel. He was among us, and the Lord counted him as an apostle. I mean, he counted him as, as you know, one of his, just like all the rest of the 11 of us. He was one of us. He had his share uh, in this ministry. Um, but there's a problem, and that is, you know, he did a terrible thing, and he is no longer with us. Um, and what he did, of course, was something that had been prophesied. Um, Peter makes reference to the fact that um, this was a matter of, 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 of biblical prophecy. It was something that was spoken of by, uh, by David. But anyway, the, the fact that um, Judas did this, um, although it was prophesied, maybe this is just another point to, to make, it's worth making here. Um, I don't think that negates the fact that Judas still had free will. Mm. And he had choice to do what he did. Right. Um, I've been asked that before. You know, well, well, what about Judas? You know, there's so much in the Old Testament that prophesied about how he was going to do this. And, uh, you know, it's, it, the, the gospel writers always kind of make it a point in, in parentheses to say Judas, the one who would, who would betray him. Uh, and so it just kind of seems like it was a foregone conclusion and he just didn't, he didn't have any choice in the matter. I, I'm always reminded of what Judas said after he did it. And what Judas said after he did it was he said, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. Uh, that to me sounds like an acknowledgement that I, I, I chose to do that. It was my decision. It was bad. Uh, and, and I say all that to say that just because God has foreknowledge of something uh, does not necessarily mean that God is, is orchestrating and dictating those things to happen that way. Um, Judas still, of his own volition, uh, betrayed the Lord and as a result put the apostles in the predicament that they're in here. Yeah. Verse 18, um, or verse 19, 18. Here we go, 18. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And here's a great, uh, hope nobody's hearing this at lunchtime. Uh, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. Um, and so this is kind of the little postscript uh, about Judas that, uh, we're not given <laughs> that, that, that descriptive of detail in, uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, so we can thank Luke for giving us this uh, description here about his just terrible demise. Uh, it, really, I, I think the takeaway is it's a shameful ending uh, to you know, a, a man who did something that was utterly shameful in every way. He, he literally killed the Son of God. He was responsible yeah. for yeah. that. Um, and so there, there's no more fitting end. Yeah. Um, verse 20 now. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And, here's the other part that Peter is going to build on, Let another take his office. Um, now this particular passage is quoted from it's a couple of different places in the Psalms, from Psalm 69 verse 25, and then Psalm 109 verse 8. Um, 
And it's that second part about letting another one take his office um, that um, we're not going to just continue with 11 of us guys. Um, 12. Uh, it's important. Uh, we see the significance of the number 12 in the Old Testament. There was the 12 tribes. <coughs> Excuse me. In, in some ways, um, there is this parallel in the New Testament with these 12 apostles and the work that they're going to do uh, throughout the remainder of the New Testament. Uh, even in the book of Revelation, there's kind of even some tying together of the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. Um, and so Peter's going to make the point here, beginning in verse 21, that we, we need to do what Scripture says. Um, and that's a great point in and of itself, that here's some, some things that Scripture's clearly indicated need to be done. We need to obey what the Scripture is, is commanding. Um, we can't just... You know, kind of overlook that verse, and well, I don't think that's what that's talking about. No, that that's what that's talking about. We've been able to clearly establish and make the connection. Peter realizes, uh, so we need to do something about that. So, verse twenty-one. Uh, here's the plan. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. This is really helpful uh, information here because this just kind of catalogs for us in a nice, concise little um, couple of verses about the criteria in order for someone to be an apostle. Uh, same criteria that would have been used for the first 11 guys, uh, and now this 12th guy that's going to be chosen, uh, here's the criteria that's got to be used. He needs to be somebody who's been amongst us, been around us, been following us, been following Christ from the baptism of John all the way up until here, just what we read about earlier in this chapter, till the ascension. Um, and then furthermore, needs to be somebody who can be a witness to his resurrection. So, so not that we saw, it doesn't mean that we saw him being resurrected, but it means that we've seen him after he was resurrected and can now go and testify to that. And that's going to be really one of the calling cards throughout the book of Acts that these guys are going to preach. Mm. They're going to preach that Jesus is raised from the tomb and we've seen him alive. Um, they do not preach the empty tomb. And, I, and so often I think that's where we make the mistake. We, we preach the empty tomb. That, that's, that, that's not the basis for why we believe Jesus rose from the dead. We believe Jesus rose from the dead because of the eyewitness account of these 12 men and even many others that are not even, even recorded for us in the New Testament uh, who saw him alive and testified to that and told others. And, and we believe that these guys have credibility. Um, these are, uh, you know, in court, I used to work in the, the court system, and, you know, having credible witnesses was really, really key to, a, you know, a, a prosecution or to a defense's uh, case. And these guys have credibility. Uh, they, they've got, um, uh, you know, requirements and things about them that, that makes me believe that their testimony, that it's true and that it's correct. And that's what they're going to testify. And so we need another guy who can testify uh, to the resurrected Lord because that's going to be the centerpiece of our, of our preaching going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's such a monumental thing, the resurrection of Christ. I, I mean, that is the thing that separates Christianity from any other religion ever. 
And that's why, you know, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15 spends so much time just yep. making the argument that if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then all of our hope is in vain. And they're, you know, what are we even doing? Because, you know, that's that's the single most important event in history. That's that's what hinges, that's what our faith hinges on. Yeah. Um, and, and so you see, because the apostles were supposed to go out, like verse 8 said, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria all the other parts of the earth, um, they needed people who were strong, people who were witnesses, people who can speak from firsthand experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you see that, it's like, okay, I wonder how many people fit that bill, you know? And um, I, I wonder, out of the 120 people that were there, just wonder how many of those, you know, were able to come forward and say, oh, uh, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. We know from the, from the, even from the Corinthians passage you mentioned, there was at least 500 people who saw Jesus in Galilee. So at least those 500 could have met that requirement. Yeah. Um, now, out of that 500, how many of them could say that they you know, had followed and, and heard the teaching of Jesus during that you know, two or three year period uh, that, that Peter says we, we, we need some guys from? So that starts to probably kind of whittle it down uh, a little bit more. Maybe you had some folks who kind of jumped in a little late in the game. Um, and, uh, well, you, you, I mean, you, you sort of meet it, but you don't entirely. So sorry, i got to strike you off the list. Uh, we need some guys who, you know, are, are, are like the other 11. They've just kind of been maybe in the background this whole time. Uh, but they've kind of, you know, it's, it's like in... Uh, like in a play, like in a school play, you, you have all the people that are cast for the for the main parts, but then there's always like the you know the backup people uh, in, yeah. in case somebody gets sick or, or something. And and it, it, to me, this just shows the the wisdom of what the Lord kind of designed when He went about His ministry and and having people and and developing people uh, along the way. That um, of course the Lord Himself knew that Judas was going to fall, uh, so there's going to need to be. Uh, some a, a pool of people to pull from uh, to be able to carry on this work, and even the even all the other people who are not chosen. This is, I think, important to say. Even the ones who are not chosen to be apostles, they still would have played a really important role in the kingdom. Right. You know, because yeah. even if you're just you know Joe Christian, uh, or you know maybe I should pick a more Hebrew sounding name. Hmm. Uh, you know, Joseph. Yeah, Joseph, or or you know, if you're Shephatiah Christian, uh, you know, or something like that, um, and you're not officially an apostle. I mean, if you're a Christian and you're doing what a Christian does, well, you're just going to go around just telling what what the apostles were telling anyway. Mm. You can go around and tell about the resurrected Lord, um, and and try to influence people and try to share with people what what the gospel is, which is the good news uh, and the salvation that can be found in Christ. Um, we're told, though, in verse 23 that of that pool of people who gets put forward is two men. They put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Matthias apparently is not cool enough to have three different names. He's just <laughs> Matthias. And they prayed, and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So uh, Matthias um, is uh, the twelfth man here, and um, this is actually the last time he's mentioned, uh, <laughs> at least specifically by name. Um, 
there's other mentions, of course, throughout Acts of the Twelve or the Apostles, and it's inferred that he would be included in that. Um, and even here, in just in the very next chapter, in chapter 2, uh, we know that he's, he's obviously going to have to play a, a key role in what goes on there. Um, but it's the other guy who kind of grabs my attention, and that is this uh, Joseph Barsabas Justice, whichever one you want to call him. Um, the opportunity would be there for that guy to be maybe really disappointed. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, the chance to be... I mean, to be one of the 12. I mean, not everybody can say they were one of the 12. Um, it, it may be in, maybe to kind of update the illustration for, um, for Christians today, this maybe would be like a man who gets um, nominated, for lack of a better term, to be an elder in a local church. And, you know, his name is put before the congregation kind of in the same fashion for consideration. And ultimately, he's not, he's not appointed for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's a, because of a scriptural disqualification that someone finds, or maybe just he just does not have the full support of, of the group. But there can be some, some disappointment and some, uh, maybe some sadness that goes along with that. And the text doesn't tell us any of that. Um, I'm going to just assume that this guy, like Peter's trying to, to kind of put forward here, that like we just want to do the Lord's will here. You know, notice how that they prayed and they say, "Lord, you know, you, you know what's right here. You know what what needs to happen here. We don't know. You know, at this point, that the Holy Spirit's not fallen on them yet." So they don't have that, that supernatural knowledge yet. Uh, Jesus is no longer there with them in person, so they don't have his direct guidance uh, as they did before. So, God, we're, we're, we're leaving this up to you. And th this process of casting lots, I mean, I've heard lots of different descriptions about what that may, may have been, um, and I'm not going to uh, attempt to try to describe what specifically the, the casting of the lots was here on this particular occasion. We know that we see that a bunch of times in the Old Testament. Um, and as far as I can tell, this is the last time we're going to see that uh, in the rest of the New Testament. And with good reason, because from this point on, these guys are going to be operating under the words of God as revealed to them by the, by the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, which is why we now have the benefit of that today, and we don't need to cast lots to make decisions or um, even really, really important big decisions. You know, this was a big, important decision. Um, we don't need to do that anymore. Um, but they're appealing to the Lord and to His wisdom and to His, um, His, His, um, you know, knowledge of all things to be able to to direct them in the way that they need to go. And Matthias is the one that gets the gets the call at this uh, occasion. It's amazing how much that they they focus on the Lord's will and what what He wants. Yeah. You know, all throughout this, Peter keeps referring back to Scripture. You know, how do we know what the Lord's will is? Well, he tells us, and he shows us clearly in Scripture what, what we need to do and what needs to happen. And so he keeps referring back to that, even, like you said, without the miraculous guidance of the Spirit or, mm -hmm. or having Jesus directly next to him. Um, he knew that's, that's the source material. That's where you go. Yep. Go to the Scripture, and that's where you find it. And, and even this decision, um, they, they did what they could do as far as they meet these qualifications physically of having been at the right place at the right time right. with the right people. Right. And, 
that whole time. But now what they ask the Lord for is help with the heart. That's what we can't see. Yes. And that's, you know, we should take comfort in, in knowing that even if, if our abilities aren't what we would like them to be, our, our physical capabilities, whatever, it, it's the heart that, that God is most concerned with. Yes. Um, I'm reminded of what, you know, the Lord said to Samuel whenever, um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to go, you know, I'm going to have you anoint David, you know, he reminds him, don't, don't go looking through earthly eyes the way that, that humans do. Don't be looking at his countenance and, um, you know, what's on the exterior. Don't be looking for tall, dark, and handsome like people were looking for with Saul. The Lord's able to see uh, like man cannot see and that he's, he's able to see the heart. And um, that's exactly what Peter is uh, appealing to here. Um, Lord, we're going to place our trust in you because you're able to, you've got x-ray vision. <laughs> you know, you have something that we don't have. Um, and, and you're able to make the right decision here. And so the lot falls to Matthias and he uh, is numbered uh, with the 11. There's this little, little thought that occurred to me here at the end of verse 25 where um, Peter just says about Judas that Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Um, and maybe this just needs to be said in our day and time and culture um, where there's just such vitriol for people who um, we disagree with or you know especially I think about in politics mm. there's just so much venom that's spewed toward people that we don't like and there's almost in, in many cases there is this um, glee that comes when when people see someone on the other side and bad things happen to them. Mm. And we kind of just relish that. And, and, and we gloat about it. We post about it on social media. I, I know this past week when Rush Limbaugh, it was announced that he had um, advanced lung cancer. Mm. And there were people who disagree with, with him politically and in, in, in his position on, on things who just just spoke with glee about how he's getting what he deserved. Aha, yes, finally that guy. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't even agree with the guy entirely on, on things um, morally and, and, and otherwise. I, I don't know. But there's no glee to be taken. And I think there's maybe a cue that we could take here from Peter, where Peter, when he speaks about Judas, there's no like you know, embellishing about, about what Judas did and kind of almost gladness that guy's gone and we're get, we got him out of here. He just says, Judas, he turned aside and went to his own place. You know, he made his decision and that's really all we want to say about that. Um, I don't know, there's just a, a, a cue of respect that, that I think we can, we, we can learn here. Probably people in our society need to, to take and, um, and sometimes even Christians uh, need to take that cue, um, especially in this politically charged and hostile time in which we live. It's election year and so everybody's just hmm. tensions are high with 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 that kind of stuff and we need to be better than that. Uh, if if Peter could keep things civil in talking about the guy who as you said literally is is as much responsible for the killing of Christ if he could be that civil in talking about him, then surely we can be civil in talking about others that we would count as our, our enemies. Yeah. yeah. Amen. You know, Jesus keep, 
got them to the to the point where they he was telling them you need to focus on on the, the work at hand yeah focus on the task at hand and and we get so mixed up uh, with with the world and with everything going on um, and, and we just forget that what he requires of us is obedience and, yep. and faith and that's that's what we need to do we need to focus on ourselves more yes. um, and focus on our own attitudes and what we can handle and, and what we can control yep well that's acts chapter one um any parting thoughts here on uh on acts chapter one before we wrap it up well, I'll just say this as a quick thing here at the end. The, the whole process of choosing that the last apostle there, the twelfth apostle, um, you know, you, you don't see this as like an ongoing thing where we need to continually refresh that. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I think we'll talk about that some a, a little bit later on in Acts. I, I just wanted to mention that it seems like these are the requirements, and yep. and this is what needs to be uh, in order to. To meet that um, as an apostle. Let's bang that. Let's just go ahead and bang that real quick. So, yeah. so in in in, uh, in in some religious um, persuasions, even to this day, there is the concept of apostolic succession, mm-hmm. and um, and the idea that there are still apostles uh, on this earth, um, and there's a real problem <laughs> with. With that, and, and and this chapter helps to clarify what that problem is, uh, and that is um, that Peter says in order to be an apostle, you you had to have been there and seen Jesus um, while he was alive and while he taught, and then you need to also have saw him after uh, he was raised from the dead. And while I am sure that there would have been people who fit those descriptions for I don't know how how long would you guess maybe for the next. 30, 40, 50, I mean, depending on how long people live. Right, yeah, maybe so. Uh, let's say there was a, a younger person who happened to hear Jesus early on in his teaching and in his ministry, say maybe a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, and he follows Jesus along during that whole period of time, and then he sees Jesus after his resurrection. So let's just say he goes on and lives a nice, healthy life of 80, 90 years old. All right, that person's going to be dead by the end of the first century. So, so by that point, you know, just generally speaking, by the end of the first century, we no longer have people who even can come close to meeting these physical requirements uh, to have been an apostle. And so for, for re- religious groups today, probably one of the most notorious would be in, in Roman Catholicism uh, and, and the way that uh, the, the Pope is discussed, and, and Popes historically have been discussed. Um, there's there's some real problems you're going to run into just by reading here these verses in Acts chapter one. Uh, how can that be? I mean, how old are these guys? Right. <laughs> you know, right, right. Uh, it, it's just it's not even like it's just not even humanly possible uh, for these people to be apostles. Um, th- there is another sense in which the term apostle is sometimes used in the New Testament. Uh, to just mean messenger. Right. Um, Barnabas, for example, is described, I think maybe in Acts, later as an apostle. Right. It doesn't mean he was one of the twelve. Uh, it just means he was, he was just a messenger, messenger of, of, of the word, messenger of the gospel. Um, so, I mean, if you want to use the word apostle in that generic sense, okay, that, that, that's fine. But generally speaking, when you hear the word apostle, that's, that's not what comes to my mind. 
No, no. I hear the word apostle, I'm thinking Peter, James, John, etc. Yeah, as the list in verse 13 was. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, this passage is, uh, again, it's a, it's a great place to, to bookmark when, when we're having those discussions with folks who, who, who maybe would, would still hold to the idea that, that there is uh, you know, c- continued apostles uh, even to this day. In the, if I'm not mistaken, in the, uh, in the Mormon faith, I think I think there's even a website you can get on, and you can look, and it'll have pictures of these guys throughout their history, and it's right. Apostle, you know, Jephetiah, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the Apostle Joseph Smith, you know, all of these uh, different people, uh, and it's just, I don't know, it it infuriates me, mm-hmm. and I know that that doesn't need to be my my knee jerk reaction, uh, but it's problematic with 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 what we're looking at here, which is just plain the plain teaching of Scripture. Right. And I think that's why we need to get back to what Peter was doing there. Yes. Scripture. It's all about Scripture. And and that's how we make our decisions, and that's what we do. Well, chapter 2, Peter is very much going to be all about Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. And he's going to rely upon the Old Testament Scriptures uh, as the basis for... Uh, what takes place, and maybe next week, maybe we should kind of jot down those references for for the passages <laughs> that he'll be uh, he'll be reading and quoting from. Um, but uh, but this is a good, this is an exciting start to um, to, to what will be an exciting uh, an action packed book. That's the other thing that makes studying Acts enjoyable is there's not really any dull, dry material. Uh, it's lots happening, and uh, so I hope you're ready to. Uh, buckle up and join us for that ride. Jason, you get the last word before I sign us out. Uh, I'm excited for the journey, man. All right, man. I appreciate you, and we look forward to talking about Acts chapter 2 next time.